This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. E-Road provides fleets with advanced capabilities for remote reefer control, real-time compartment mismatch detection, product-specific temperature alerts, and a host of compliance management applications. It's time to revisit how your refrigerated goods are monitored. Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. A surprising up-and-coming market for cold chains is, oddly enough, in Brazil. A Brazil cold chain a logistics market size is expected to grow from $2.4 billion to $3.92 billion by the end of 2028 for a roughly a compound annual growth rate of 10.02%. Brazil is one of the world's fastest growing economies and among the top 20 markets in the world for cold storage industry. The country has a storage capacity of about 6 million cubic meters. Brazil is a major exporter of fruits, meats, sugar, and soya beans. It is developing its cold chain logistics and storage facilities to support the expected growth in the sectors. Yum China has unveiled a landmark accomplishment in its efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. As of July 2023, its company-owned logistics center in Nanning, Guajing province is completely powered by renewable energy. Nanning Logistics Center out, stands out as the first cold chain logistics center in China to fully operate on a carbon-neutral power. By the end of 2023, Yum China is estimated to have a total annual green power consumption of about 10 million kilowatts, encompassing logistics centers and restaurants within the company's operational control. Today, we are joined by Steve Bita, the Executive Vice President of Customer Success and Advisor for Trax. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Good to be here. I'm really excited about this one. This is something that we haven't covered um, on the show in a long time slash ever. Um, and we are diving into the world of pharmaceuticals today. But before we get too far into that, let's get some background on you and how you ended up at Trax. Sure. Uh, I spent probably the last 30 years in supply chain. Um, primarily focused on automation. And during that time, I decided to get a little bit more into consulting, which gave me a more business uh, side than just the tech side to solving customer problems. So I spent a lot of time in, oh, helping procurement manage better uh, RFPs for uh, transportation services. Um, and I did that for all industries, including pharma. And then extending that, looking at other options and how to optimize execution and uh, save uh, either save dollars, reduce costs uh, during execution, improve service, or balancing the, the both, which will be part of today's conversation. So uh, fast forward that a little bit. Um, that was very episodically done on clients that were hiring me. So I decided to share that knowledge out in a broader sense by managing all of our customer portfolio and basically sharing best practices like that across all industries and all of our customer segments. So I'm really excited about what I'm doing now 
and acting as an advisor to help customers improve their overall transportation spend and manage their overall supply chain. So basically, you're the guy that comes in and is like, hey, what you have is great, but it could be a little bit better. Well, you know, it's funny. Everybody thinks they have the best of everything. And what I usually come in is compare them to the other other companies in that industry segment of similar size and, and spend. And I'm thinking, you know, it's always good to look at another perspective of how you, what, what we call best in class. Um, but you're absolutely right. And it's really about sharing best practices so all of our customers gain without revealing anything, obviously confidential, but revealing best practice around processes and, and navigating what I consider over the last few years a pretty complex marketplace. I mean, there is kind of the, it is pharmaceuticals. I will admit, I don't know the, I don't know the first thing about shipping pharmaceuticals, um, but I do feel like there are some, some general guidelines that you do have to stick to um, that, you know, you can't really go off the rails, like, you know, put uh, heavily guarded drugs through like pneumatic tubes or something. Um, although that would really expedite a lot of deliveries if we had like an underground pneumatic tube system. Well, you know, it's interesting, Mary. Um, again, you know, I apply general practices against um, all transportation, all industries, but pharma is unique. Um, I remember the first time I was engaged with a pharma company running an, an RP for um, small package delivery services. And I quickly found out that there's really two types of packages. The one you care about getting there and it must get there on time. And the one that you really don't care about, it can go any way you want. Um, and then once you have the data to support knowing which package is which, you can effectively sort of divide the, the, the two categories out and negotiate um, different set of carriers, specialty services, um, but balance it all out. So yeah, it's, uh, pharma is definitely unique. Um, and there was a lot to learn specific about the pharma industry in terms of balancing cost to serve and service um, in that industry. That was one of the things that I knew when there was that threat of the UPS strike. I was like, this is going to be really bad for pharmaceuticals because I don't think FedEx does as much, but I'm sure we'll touch on that in a little bit. But that was one of the things I was really concerned about. Um, but I guess when it comes to pharma shipping, what are some of those special rules, regulations and requirements that everyone has to adhere to? That's not necessarily like top secret company level, just like what are the baseline rules that everyone has to adhere to? Well, I think... Um most mature customers that I work with um, are using some sort of a scorecard, a risk scorecard approach um, to evaluating the cares they invite into RFPs and the cares they consider be partners um, as part of a, an award um, from a result of a bid. Um, and those, those scorecards are actually, I would say Pharma has some of the more complex scorecard and risk factors in, um, of all of, of the industries that I've worked with. Again, because pharmaceuticals are more regulated, they require um, you know, a different type of temperature control standards. Packaging is different. And then services are really important, right? You have shelf life. You have very strict time and transit standards. So um, looking at a risk scorecard uh, against all different categories of risk with a, uh, a LSP or a carrier is really important. One of those risks is, is how they handle their labor management, right? Union, non-union. Um, their financial stability, right? We've seen in the marketplace recently that that's important to consider when you're looking at uh, freight providers. So those scorecards are all really important and they should be shared between logistics, finance, uh, treasury, and uh, C-level in terms of those decisions. And then how our carrier scores on those 
again, determine whether they're invited into an RP and whether they stay a partner, because that's something that could change over time. And so that's really important. So I'd say with pharma, um, things like uh, service commitment, ability on-time delivery, uh, number of damages in packages, their overall you know successful delivery of packages, um, their ability to serve a complex set of medical requirements like labs, kitting, temperature control, packaging. Um, and then, of course, cost is always a factor. So that's why I say um, if it's a commoditized package that doesn't require all of those uh, more strict delivery requirements, then really maybe any carrier can carry that at a lower cost. Um, the other factor is you have region. Um, not all carriers cover all regions equally. So um, a lot of times in these uh, sort of open events when you're looking at carriers, there may be a carrier that covers the European market that's uh, really good. And again, I'm hesitant to use specific names here, um, so I won't. Yeah, I mean, um, but then there are carriers that are emerging in the Latin America market that are completely different. And so it's, it's region, it's service, it's, it's ability to, to, again, look at that package as not just a commodity, but as actually something in there that has a very specific requirement uh, for delivery. So it all comes back, though, to data as well. And that'd be a, another topic that we can chat on later. But if you don't know what's in the box and you can't break down your data into knowing what's in the box, you knowing what the delivery requirements are, um, it makes it hard for your procurement or your logistics uh, support teams, transportation teams to understand when they can make those decisions and how to route that to the right carrier uh, that can handle that type of service. So to me, data is everything. It always has been. But even but in today's market, even more so when you're in decision support, calculating risk scorecards, um, it's all about the data and the measurement and the KPIs uh, that you're using to evaluate those on a regular basis, probably a quarterly basis. I, uh, as a former procurement person, uh, makes my heart happy when someone says, give your procurement people good data, because that is the difference between a strong bid or strong pricing from a carrier or just here you go. We don't really know. So when we asked for pictures of freight or, um, you know, a strong like three to six month data set people always at looked at us like we were crazy and i was like if we can give specific dimensions pictures strong data representation we're going to get a stronger price and we're actually going to be able to service the customer better with what they actually need versus just throw it at the wall and say it should work i was i was always a big proponent if you think about the carrier bidding community and i'm comfortable saying this across all modes all carriers all LSPs, whatever word you want to call that, general transportation provider, um, they will hedge if they don't have all the information. So if you don't want your carriers to hedge and come up with their own answers, you provide them the transparency they need to make good decisions on what they're bidding on. And again, that's pictures, differentiation of the product, the type of, uh, of goods, the type of packaging. The more data you give a carrier to bid, the more competitive they can they can be when they come back with um, competitive pricing across across all those commodity types. So, I am in full agreement, Mary. I, I think it's all about the data. And that hedge that they take, it's not going to be in your favor. It's always going to be in their gonna favor. It's never going to be in your favor. Protect. <laughs> yeah, when I say hedge, I mean um, throw a few points <laughs> of margin on there to cover what we don't know. Yes. Exactly, because 
in transportation, we've all learned and we've all been burned by the, oh, it's probably not that big of a problem. And then like, you know, a thousand dollars later, a week later, you're still messing with this same problem. And you're like, I would have known this up front. I would have never taken this. I agree. And the same with diversification, by the way. Um, I've been a big advocate of diversification. So you, you brought up the EPS strike. Um, it was averted, but it was surely risk. We see we've gone through COVID. Um, we've gone through bankruptcies recently, right? So I, I think you're, you're, you always want to have carrier A and B at least, um, and maybe C, uh, depending on how critical that aspect of your supply chain is um, to your overall um, ability to serve your customers, especially in healthcare and in pharma. So, and that goes for the same on the supply side. Your suppliers also, uh, not just carriers, but suppliers also have to be able to produce inventory where you put that inventory, how much stock and how much uh, uh, backup inventory you have, all those decisions are critical for pharma. And those probably are more, even more critical than any other industry um, because of that. And it's regulated. Oh, absolutely. Because also the pharmaceutical one, more often than not, it's medication going to maybe save someone's life or improve their quality of life. So if it gets tampered with, if it gets messed, if it stays outside of that temperature controlled environment, then it's not just, oh, oops, you know, your genes got there a day late. It's no, could my medication potentially be tampered with and could it put me in the hospital or kill me? That's why the government stepped in, I guess, post-COVID and said, hey, you know, you can't treat pharma like anything else. Um, you've got to have smart supply. You've got to have um, nearshoring where it needs to be if you can. Um, and you need to have inventory available when you need it. Um, it's really a matter of, inter of national risk when we can't produce the pharmaceuticals that we need to serve our our um, you know, the people of the United States, especially here, but I could, I could argue the point anywhere. Um, but to me, it's, it's diversification of supply and it's always balanced against cost, right? So there's always a cost component. There's a risk component, the sustainability component and a service component. Those are the real three. And I guess the fourth that you want to add it in is the CO2. Um, and, and, but those probably are the four factors. Oh, for sure. That's one of the things, um, I mean, it, it's the constant struggle in any supply chain is that cost versus, um, you know, the service and your uh, return on investment and everything. It's that cost balancing measure that um, is ultimately, it's just the name of the game, man. You know? It is. It is. And uh, everyone's got different thresholds for what they want to accept and what they want. And, uh, you know, those who always choose low cost providers more often than not end up getting burned on the back end. And those who choose higher costs, well, they get the higher service and the higher cost. And it is a bigger deal when things happen. But I guess when it comes to the liability that, you know, you get with these medicines, whether it's, you know, making things stay inside temperature controlled, making sure that it gets there by 7 p.m. on a Thursday, um, how do you kind of plan around those liabilities? Because it's kind of hard to plan your supply chain around like, like this needs to be there by seven o'clock and that usually comes at a much higher price point. So how do you even kind of start planning around that? Well, let's start with the reliability question. I think that's a good one. And again, this is one of those learnings when you're new to pharma, you know, typical supply chain, transportation, logistics analysts will want to fill a truck, for instance, right? Um, so you, you, if you don't have full truck utilization, you're basically wasting space because you're paying for the full container and the full truck. Um, one of the things that I learned about pharma was, well, but wait a second, 
this stuff is worth uh, uh, gold sometimes, right? And when you look at the cost per unit weight, and so you max out on liability. So you can't fill the truck because the liability is maxed out on the insurance, and you don't want to put that much stuff in one, you know, one container truck. So you have to look at liability. How do you understand that? You have to know, you have to be good at the data again to understand what's the, what's the total cost or of, the, of the product and being able to execute a strategy that combines a low-cost carrier or the carrier with the least risk or the carrier that can meet the service level, but also when you're planning the capacity that you plan for it to not max out on the liability, yeah. which is really important. I think the second is carriers that support uh, temperature control um, standards, and um, and that is regionally. There's also a factor of packaging. How long, how much packaging do you use or eyes that you can keep the uh, shelf life of a product viable, right? Um, using RFID and track and trace ability, which is why in pharma, it's another area where the adoption rate of RFID and tracking, where's my stuff? answers uh, that many companies do these days are really important for pharma because if you do have to make a decision to divert or make a change or do something to react, really important to know where your stuff is to make those decisions. So I think track and trace is also another really uh, important aspect of, of pharmaceutical companies in terms of not only how much does my stuff cost to transport it, but how where is it at all times? And then RFID level tracking sometimes to know exactly uh, whether that product is made it to where it's going. So um, the rigor around those processes for pharma certainly are a, a much higher level, and the investment needs to be there to get those that data uh, than some of the other industries that I've worked in, for sure. So one, one of the things you keep bringing up that, I mean, the secret nerd in me loves is you keep saying it all comes back to the data and, you know, making sure that you have this clean data that you can work with, that you can use. Um, and I guess, have you seen a lot of pharmaceutical shippers adopt this policy of, you know, we have to make sure we have data, not only to give our shippers, but to give our logistic service providers or even to use internally to make sure that, you know, we are meeting our own goals and our own metrics. Have you seen shippers place much higher priorities on, you know, clean, good data? Yeah, I would say that if I look across all of our, cus all of our customers in the various industry segments worldwide, pharmaceutical has been probably the lead in adopting the data standards and the data quality and governance that they need to meet their um, their supply chain standards and really the ultimate control tower concept, right? You think about a control tower, you're putting an end-to-end -end solution in that provides um, visibility um, on the fintech side, the financial control, but also the physical flow of goods um, from supplier all the way to customer. Um, and they certainly have, have adopted best practice around that. Um, the problem with data, Mary, is, is there's still a lot of silos, though. Okay, so if you think about you think about putting together a lot of the KPI answers that you're looking for come from multiple data sources, and that's carrier. It, it comes from uh, track and trace capability companies that do that, where they're getting signals and events in, RFID information, warehouse information. Um, you know, there's there's many many sources of that data that require or require to put it all together. So there, and then the problem when you start putting it all together is you have data inconsistencies. And so the normalization of said data, um, especially in a multi-carrier, multi-LSP uh, network, which again, multi-suppliers that are doing different data standards, the industry hasn't really adopted data standards yet. Let's face it. And 
I mean, it's just too competitive and it's too, you have so much diversity within the carrier LSP market. So it's a challenge for companies. They have the desire to have it, but the actual execution of it is very hard. And it's not just a tech solution. It's a data transformation solution. So there's no like piece of software you're going to buy and just solve it. Um, you have to have machine learning where you're learning that this is really, when they say this is ambient, cold, and frozen, they can say that in 15 different ways. And all I really want to know is it's ambient, cold, or frozen. And it boils down to mapping all those different ways of explaining that into a common set so that you can literally read the data in that way. So I would say that is one of the number one goals because any conversation I've had it always requires a quantitative side of measurement. That is one of the things, like, I remember how difficult it was just to try and capture one extra field within a shipment, like consistently for all carriers and like everybody, just to try and get them to add one extra piece of data was insane. It took probably six months to get it done. And I'm not even exaggerating. If the If this industry could come up with data standardization, I would be so happy. I would be so happy. We could do so much more. And, and and here's the problem. I was on a call the other day with a medical supply chain leader, and they have a small, they use a bunch of small carriers in certain segments, and they're very critical carriers. But so one thing he was teaching me, um, Steve Vita, the sage, is that you can't look at total spend commitment. You have to look at the criticality of that carrier in the supply chain. So when I look at a carrier mix and I say, well, that carrier carries 80% of your or 70% of your uh, uh, shipments within a mode of transport, is, he was telling me, no, this carrier carries 5%, but they need to carry that 5% and they need to do it very well. Well, you've got all these small, smaller um, carriers that aren't da data governance people. They're, they're good at delivering product from A to B. Trying to teach them to add that element is hard and then teach, teaching them all to add that element do it consistently is really hard so it, it's a challenge and you know, as long as we live in a marketplace with diverse diverse set of carriers of various sizes and maturity and their ability to promote electronic billing and electronic transfer of data um the problem will go away um it'll be here for a while um i think i'm just happy that most carriers have moved away from faxing BOLs and faxing signed BOLs around um, because I had to do that even like six years ago. And I was like, I'm sorry, you want me to fax it to you? Okay. So I'm just happy we've moved away from that. And someday, someday we might be able to do, you know, API calls with one standard set of data, but I think that's asking. Well, I think the, the two things that are certainly coming um, are, you know, obviously we have mobile devices that are pretty smart now. And so you, you, you get a mobile device in the hands of even a smaller carrier and they can act like a large carrier in terms of tech. I think the other thing, honestly, I think five years from now, AI and machine learning will help transform data into more normalized outcomes. Um, but, you know, it's almost like we need AI to create the real AI. We need AI to do the data scrubbing. Then the AI can take the clean data and make a decision. Because right now, if you give the data to an AI, uh, the decision is usually wrong, and that's because the data is wrong. <laughs> you have to teach it to go through and say, no, just delete oh, this. It's throw not that one important. out. That's an outlier. Yeah. No, no, no. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no rhyme or reason, really, for why we do it other than we just know that it doesn't belong there. So we're, we're at least 
we're probably at least five years out from having good enough data to make an AI really make some real determinations on how you should optimize your supply chain. But it's coming. I mean, you know, we got we got to have goals. We got to have dreams to achieve and goals to goals to hit. So I love it. Um, we'll have to chat in five years and see if if we've predicted correctly. Um, that being said, we are running out of time today, but there is a question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer. And are you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Is cereal considered a soup? <laughs> Not in my book. Okay. That's a good book. I also agree with that. And by the way, I love cereal and I love soup. So I, my, my personal favorite cereal is, uh, is Frosted Flakes, but I also don't eat it with milk. I eat it like just dry, like a monster. So. Well, I, I enjoy both, but no, cereal is not a soup. Uh, so if anyone wants to challenge your cereal as a soup opinion, um, pick your brain on anything pharmaceutical, uh, where can they find you outside the show? So you can reach me at steve.beta at traxtech.com. And I'd be happy to talk to anyone about Anything related to supply chain, transportation, logistics, and not just pharma, but any industry. But um, I really enjoy working, Mary, with pharma, and I really enjoyed being on the show to answer some questions about pharma. It's one of my, I, I really enjoy working with our pharma customers. It's very unique supply chain, and um, it's, uh, and again, it, look at the, the outcome is, is so good in terms of, of what they're doing for our general public. So I'm, I'm really a, a I really enjoy working with pharma companies. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come be our pharma expert. And you guys heard it here first. Uh, any supply chain questions, Steve is, Steve's DMs are open. So slide on in. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet. Thank you.